Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? You know, here in the United States, it's the 4th of July. Technically, it's it's 4th of July other places too. But here in the United States, that date has historical significance. And as such, we, we observe it as a holiday, which means uh, I am not at work today. And Tari is not at work today. And I don't believe in making people work on holidays. And so we are going to listen to a classic episode of Tech Stuff. This is a part one of a two-parter. So tomorrow we'll listen to part two because there's just something in me where I can't just let it go, where I just play part one and never play part two. Here we go. This uh, episode originally published on July 23rd, 2014, and it is called Tech Stuff Lights Some Fireworks. Enjoy. Here's something I wondered as we were watching the traditional Independence Day festivities. What kind of tech goes into a professional fireworks display? 
What do they use to sync up the fireworks with music? Is there fancy tech that goes into the creation of fireworks? Most of the ones I saw tonight were the standard fairs, starbursts that could change their colors they burned, uh, though some twinkled like little Christmas lights flashing on and off in a way I wouldn't expect from just a chemical burn. I also remember years ago seeing some explode into a smiley face, though I haven't seen as many of those recently. I also wondered if there's anything that makes them safer, though I'm not sure how safe you could ever make something that's designed to explode. If it hasn't been done already, it might be cool to hear about how fireworks work. And Cyber Night, we are totally going to uh, meet your expectations. We are going to exceed them, actually, because there's so much stuff. There's a lot of science. There is. There's much, many, much sciences. In fact, I would say more science than tech when you get down to it. Well, However, it's, it's a technology of chemistry. Yeah, it is applied chemistry. Yes. So and, there is. Uh, and we have demonstrated on the show previously that we like fire. Yeah, we, we did a full episode. Oh, by the way, sorry, we didn't talk about compression fire starters. Uh, I, I had it in my notes, did not fill it out. And then we were taken to task for it. Rightfully so, I would say. But we're going to we're going to be very thorough, as it turns out, with fireworks, because while I was thinking about it, you know, just covering the basics, the more I got into the chemistry, the more exciting it was, the more interesting it was. And the more I was like, well, I'm in for a penny and for a pound. If the government's going to see how I'm looking about, you know, how to make (laughs) gunpowder, I might as well go all in. So we're going to talk all about it. Definitely one of those that were like, okay, what interesting watch lists are we on this yeah, week? Yeah, at least three or four more. <laughs> so we should probably define what a firework is for just just the purposes of framing the discussion, right? Uh, sure. Well, uh, you know, at its base, I suppose it's something that explodes for fun. Yes, that's pretty much it. A firework is something that is explosive or combustible, and it's meant for display purposes, to to create an impressive light display or, or noise, yeah, or and noise. or noise, I exactly, suppose. yeah. You could get a, a firecracker, which is really meant to make a lot of noise, or you you might get a, a Roman candle, which doesn't make a lot of noise but is very impressive light show. Uh, and of course, then there's all the stuff that also falls into the fireworks category, including things like sparklers, that kind of stuff. We're mostly going to be focusing on. Your traditional fireworks, the stuff that you would go and look up into the sky and see that starburst. displays that are launched from something into the air. Exactly. So big bada boom. Your 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 common basic ingredients in fireworks are um, well, it's black powder, also known as gunpowder. You know, pretty pretty simple. <laughs> Relatively simple. Yeah. Uh, it's traditionally made from sulfur, charcoal, and potassium nitrate, which back in ye old days was called saltpeter. Yeah. And back in ye old days, you mostly got it from uh, India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at least if you were in the Western Hemisphere, you got it from India. Uh, in fact, I, I read an interesting article published in 1861 by the New York Times about the various powder mills, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, in the United States. And uh, essentially, it was running down how the South didn't have enough powder mills for this Civil War thing to be a big deal. Uh, as it turns out, four more years later, they probably felt like that was maybe a little premature. I think, yeah, that that turned out to be less correct than yeah. they had hoped. It was a, a, it, a certainly, you know, I think it was an optimistic take on what ended up being a very trying time in U.S. history. But we're going to focus on the fireworks. So speaking of history, looking at the history of fireworks, this is stuff of legend, as it turns out. Oh, certainly, because, I mean, guess what? Neither of us were around uh, two to 3,000 years ago to observe, and we don't have a real way back machine. Yeah. The, I'm really sorry, guys. We've been lying to you all this time. It's just a special time. effect. It's a 
It's a really special effect. It it is it is very special. Unfortunately, if if someone has not actually documented it in a way that is verifiable, we cannot, in fact, go back and say exactly what happened. But we can tell you what the legends are. Yes, there's a legend that over two thousand years ago in China, a chef, a chef, yeah, uh, was mixing together some charcoal, some sulfur, and some saltpeter. Um, yeah, those were all ingredients that were found in field kitchens in okay, the day. Sure. So, uh, yeah, he apparently just accidentally happened to measure these in the or or mix these in the right uh, amounts because it's not like you have equal parts of each ingredient. It's actually more uh, precise than that. We aren't going to talk about that because I don't want you guys making gunpowder. Yeah. So. Don't try that at home. Uh, but this chef happened upon this recipe. Yeah. Uh, discovered that if you compress it, like if you put it into a, a, a container of some sort, and then if it were to, I don't know, come into contact with any kind of flame, it blows up. I don't know if that chef survived this discovery, because I, I don't even know if the chefs existed. <laughs> so it's all up in the air, really. Literally, possibly depending upon where the gunpowder was. Now, if you look up the history of fireworks online, like if you were to actually go and put into your favorite search engine history of fireworks, you're going to find a particular story told repeatedly throughout numerous links, most of which go to like fireworks manufacturers. And as like many other research topics on the Internet, they all tell basically the same story and basically the same wording. Yeah, they uh, talk w- without, about a, without any particular reference to yeah. anything real. Yeah, there's no citation, right? But. Yeah, so the, so what the legend is is that there was a monk in China named Li Xian who uh, lived around quote a thousand years ago. That is always the way it's put, by the way. Around a thousand years ago. It's never given a date. It just says around a thousand years ago, and so depending upon when this was written, you know. And uh, anyway. So much, so many different sources use that exact wording. I expect they all took their information from either the same source or they're just borrowing it from each other. It's just this big circle of people borrowing the same stuff. But the best scholarly source I could find simply said that the first firecracker was made sometime around 11th century common era in China. So 11th century AD, if you prefer, in China. And this was the time when Chinese alchemists were searching for something called the elixir of life. And along the way, while trying to find this elixir of life, they they mixed a bunch of different kinds of stuff together and found lots of interesting things. Not the elixir of life, but as it turns out, they found out about gunpowder. Which is kind of like an elixir of death when you think about it. It can be, certainly, with the with the uh, incorrect application. So the first firecracker was probably a, a parchment tube loosely filled with this mixture of saltpeter, sulfur, and willow charcoal. Willow charcoal, by the way, one of the more popular forms, uh, as it turns out, you want to use uh, softer woods to create the charcoal because mm-hmm. the harder woods tend to create too much ash. Ah. I learned that while I was doing all this research. Now, once the, these things were invented, they started to spread throughout the world gradually, usually through trade. Uh, sometime between 1235 and 1290 AD, Roger Bacon began to experiment with an early form of black powder. Uh, this was, again, stuff that had probably been brought to the Western world through uh, trade, trade like, routes. Yeah, mostly through uh, Arabic traders. Yeah. Most likely. Uh, the, the the story goes that Marco Polo brought some over, but it's much more likely that it was Arabic traders well before Marco Polo's mm-hmm. journeys. Uh, but at any rate, Bacon's work would lead to the development of what we know as gunpowder today. Yes. The, he would he would sort of uh, refine this mixture, finding the right 
uh, proportions of mixing these ingredients together to get something that would work very well if you wanted to, uh, you know, launch something at somebody, like, say, a cannonball. Uh, sure, because if you mix all of these things together, you get a good bright flash. And if you compress them beforehand, you get a big boom as well. Yep, yep. Otherwise, like, like if you've ever seen those uh, videos of or, or films of people taking the old timey photographs with the flash powder uh-huh, yeah. where it just it just lights up. And that was how they created a flash since they didn't have the capacitors to make a, a flashing light bulb. That's what gunpowder does. If it's just out in the open, you've probably seen this. It's you know, it's also really popular in like cartoons and stuff. You see the long trail of gunpowder and then uh, used as a fuse. Right. Exactly. So that really is how it, it just burns really, really quickly. Now, the gunpowder industry and fireworks industry are very closely linked together. Improvements in developing gunpowder and the methodology for producing it were ported over to work in fireworks as well. And early fireworks displays were developed in China and India for religious festivals. Uh, there aren't really written accounts of how these fireworks spread throughout the world. But again, we think that Arabic traders probably brought this stuff over into Europe and the mm-hmm. Europeans said, Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. Let's blow stuff up here, too. Yeah. And in fact, for a long time, they were importing this stuff from the the East and, in fact, would even uh, hire experts from the East to come and do the displays in, in Europe. It would only be in the late Middle Ages, early Renaissance, when you'd start seeing Europeans try and take on this responsibility themselves uh, now, by the Italian Renaissance, fireworks creators began to experiment with adding extra ingredients to mixtures to produce different colors of light. So, for example, adding copper to create blue light. We'll talk more about adding color to fireworks a bit later. So the thing is, if you want to learn more about what the displays back in the Middle Ages were like, there are only a few accounts. A lot of them, though, come from England because it turns out the English were bananas over this stuff. The Italians and Germans were working really hard on improving fireworks technology, and the English were enjoying the heck out of it. (laughs) We'll be back with more in just a moment. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. 
Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So one of the accounts says that during the wedding of Henry VII, also known as Henry Tudor, and Elizabeth of York in 1486, there were uh, fireworks displays. Others talk more about Elizabeth's coronation. So there's a little bit of a argument there. Same is true for Henry VIII wedding uh, Anne Boleyn, which was uh, wife number uh, two, I think. I think. She had a good head on her shoulders. Not uh, for long. Not for long. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, James Anthony Froud wrote that there were, quote, wild men casting fire and making a hideous noise, end quote, which I think is a fantastic description of fireworks. Yeah. When I was a kid, I hated them because I didn't like loud noise. And even just seeing the fireworks burst in the sky made me made my anxiety levels go up because oh. I knew a loud noise was coming. Right, right. I, um, I remember having one year where I was really upset by them. Like I had loved them and then suddenly was like, that's loud and I'm against it. Yeah, I, I've, I've come back around now. But for <laughs> a long good. time, I was I was certainly the person who's like, I don't want to be here when the fireworks start. Uh, my anyway, dog agrees with you for the record. Yeah, uh, yeah. I Most dogs I've encountered uh, shared my my feeling. I think I finally evolved beyond dog stage. <laughs> uh, so Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn had a daughter, Elizabeth. Yeah, somewhat famous. Yes. Uh, it became Queen of England and uh, uh, sat on her thorn for many years. Throne, throne, sorry. I was just misreading my notes. But uh, no, Elizabeth, obviously one of the most influential um, monarchs of all time, really. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, and she, she loved the sparklies. She, no, did. she did. She, she she created a position for it. Specifically. Yeah. Fire master of England. Um, it would be I think it was after in the the uh, ruling of uh, James the first when that position came along with the knighthood. At any rate, you had people who suddenly 
really wanted to pursue the craft and become the best at it in order to land this cushy job of being the fire master of England. Because you would imagine that comes with some sweet, you know, bonuses Mm -hmm. like money. (laughs) Yeah. And so a lot of people were trying new and different things to kind of impress the queen. Yeah. That juncture. Yeah. According to some accounts, one of the things you might expect to see at a truly outrageous display would be a dragon with paper mache scales that was loaded up with fireworks so that it would breathe fire. It would appear to be breathing fire. And sometimes they would have more than one. And then you would have dragon fights. Yes. And then maybe one of them ends up catching on fire and the other one is slightly less on fire. And so that's the one that wins. <laughs> um, but they would battle one another. And so you read about this kind of stuff and you're like, wow, these these had to be pretty spectacular. And then you also think, remember, they had no automated way of oh, doing yeah. this. There was yeah. probably some poor jerk who had a, a matchstick or some form of, of torch or something that was lighting this stuff manually and then trying to get the heck away from it before he burnt up. Yeah, or, or possibly a couple guys on the ground like with sticks holding these things up. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit terrified about the entire concept, but uh, but yeah, no, they were very impressive. Shakespeare even wrote uh, wrote about them in some of his plays, right? Yep. Romeo and Juliet, there is a quote that says, These violent delights have violent ends and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which as they kiss consume. Now, in that case, of course, he's referring to the lovers, Romeo and Juliet, and the passion they have for one another. And he's likening it to a fireworks display, which, you know, has been a pretty powerful uh, mm, image that sure. has been repeated ad nauseum ever since uh, the whole thing where the two lovers kiss and then you see the fireworks going off in the background uh, very much it's interesting that it seems to have originated with Shakespeare as many things so many things have, have. Uh, also fireworks were deemed to be an illegal possession for regular citizens right around 1605 uh, yeah that, that's about when a certain persona yeah. Now publicly known because of a certain movie Mask. and comic book series. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Guy Fox got into some trouble with the gunpowder plot. Yes. He was part of a conspiracy to blow up the houses of parliament by storing something like 30 something casks of gunpowder underneath. They were going to tunnel underneath the houses of and parliament. Wheelbarrow all that stuff in there. And then light it and blow it up. And uh, the conspirators were caught before they could uh, execute their plan. And Guy Fox himself uh, who was not necessarily the ringleader, he was one of the members, right. um, was really made an example of in some of the most horrifying ways you can imagine. Now, granted, he was planning on committing a terrible act. Yes. But they did a really terrible act to him, drawn and quartered. And, of course, oh, yeah. they had Guy Fawkes Day for, you know, the early Guy Fawkes Days involved lots of uh, burning of Guy Fawkes and effigy. Um, and then there, there's a whole story there that's amazing, but stuff you missed in history class would really be the best place to cover that. And yes. I'm sure they have, actually. I'm, I, I feel like it's likely. Uh, yeah, these these days we have the charming anonymous masks. Yes, um, <laughs> based off Guy Fox. Based off Guy Fox. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, it was made illegal for the common citizen to possess fireworks. The only people who were allowed were uh, specifically given that that um, responsibility by the crown. So... That's kind of the the early, early history. But let's talk about what's actually going on inside a firework. What is what is making it work? Uh, well, this is mostly chemistry, but let's let's talk about black powder, since that is that is the basic what is going on. here. Yeah. So we talked about sulfur, 
charcoal and saltpeter or potassium nitrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might wonder what are these things actually doing within gunpowder? So sulfur and charcoal are acting as fuel, right? And the potassium nitrate is acting as an oxidizer. So oxidizers in this sense are the chemicals that fuel requires in order to burn. If you remember the, the great triangle of what is required to make fire, mm-hmm. you have to have fuel, you have to have oxygen, and you have to have heat. Those are the three things that together will allow you to have fire. And if you're lacking any of those, you're not going to get it. If you have just oxygen and fuel, and but not heat, it's not going to happen. Same thing with just oxygen and fire. You've got to have some fuel there. Uh, so oxidizers are chemicals that are really good at uh, getting oxygen into the mix. There. Yes. And in fact, potassium nitrate is incredibly good at this. So let's look at these ingredients each on their own. If you look at just charcoal, which is essentially carbon, and you want to try and burn it, if you were to light a match and just hold it to charcoal, it doesn't really ignite very well. Uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of smolders. Yeah. and smokes. Yeah, it, and and if you get it hot enough, like it will start to burn. Certainly, yeah, yeah it'll start to glow. Glow. Uh-huh. It doesn't. You don't get a lot of flame out of it. You you've probably done this at home, perhaps on a charcoal grill, right? Or uh, when you have burned a log down to yep. the coals. Yeah, you've got those those coals are that's charcoal that's just glowing because of the the heat that's coming through. We'll talk about the actual mechanism of glowing a little bit later too. Uh, so again, you don't get a lot of ignition, not not a lot of flame, and no certainly boom. not explosive ignition. Yeah, probably unless you've done something very strange. Right, unless unless your charcoal has got some other funky ingredients in it, or I guess you've compressed it <laughs> a lot. Maybe I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> I eventually you would get a diamond. So, but sulfur. It burns at a lower temperature than charcoal does, that carbon does. It ignites more easily, but not really at room temperature. So if you had a little crucible, let's say, a little ceramic crucible filled uh-huh. with some some sulfur, and you put a match to it, it wouldn't really light up. But again, if you were to heat it, it'll start to melt, and then it will burn if exposed to even higher temperatures. And that gives off sulfur dioxide, which, by the way... Not good to breathe in. No. It can uh, irritate your lungs. One of the many reasons why you shouldn't melt sulfur at home. Yeah. Yeah. These these things like charcoal, that's fairly fairly benign <laughs> as things go. Yeah. Don't... Sulfur, a little bit less so. <laughs> uh, potassium nitrate, less so than either of the other two. Yeah. This is what increases that rate of combustion significantly when it's added to a mixture of carbon and sulfur, again, in the correct amounts. So when it's mixed properly, that combination will ignite and burn really, really quickly. Um, and it is, it is the, of course, the traditional oxidizer in this combination of yeah. stuff that goes into black powder. But lots of other things can be used. For example, potassium chlorate, potassium perchlorate, or barium nitrate. And, uh, as of 2011, organizations from like Walt Disney Company to the U.S. Department of Defense have started looking at green alternatives to all of these oxidizers. Uh, and I say green and you go like, what? you're making stuff explode. How green does it need to be? Right. But the thing is, is that, um, well, <laughs> okay, so it turns out the dangerous chemicals can present health and environmental hazards. Mm-hmm. Um, and potassium nitrate specifically is a really common ingredient in herbicides. Potassium chlorate is a harsh ingredient in disinfectants. Potassium perchlorate can disrupt the production of hormones in the thyroid and harm unborn babies. And uh, barium nitrate can interfere with heart and breathing functions. So none of that is good fun times. And and so a lot of research has been put in recent years into trying to figure out uh, better ways of burning stuff. Yeah. 
yeah. that, that isn't releasing these chemicals into the environment and showering them over crowds of fawning onlookers or, you know, into your water supply or et right. cetera. For example, potassium chlorate is a great example. Potassium chlorate is this stuff, a great example of a bad, uh, bad ingredient as, as opposed to one that's green. Uh, potassium chlorate ends up creating a more explosive uh, burn than, say, potassium nitrate does. Potassium nitrate's already pretty impressive, but if you ever watch someone create potassium chlorate, uh, a mixture of sulfur, charcoal, and potassium chlorate in the right amounts, and then light it, it, it lights, ev- it burns even faster than mm. the regular black powder mixture. Uh, and so it's often used in something called a, a burst charge, which we'll talk about later. Oh, okay. But... Like you said, it leaves some pretty nasty stuff behind. Chlorate. If you look at that word chlorate, you realize that chlorine is one of those things that's involved in this. And that's one of the byproducts is you get this chlorine released as as one of the, the remnants after the chemical reaction that happens when you ignite this stuff. Chlorine is not good stuff, folks. You don't don't want just pure chlorine all over the place. It's, no. it's toxic. So, no. you know, that's one of those things where... Uh, a lot more research needs to be done in order to make the stuff really safe. Uh, right now, two things, sodium periodate and potassium periodate, are starting to move into use as yeah. substitutes, m- more clean substitutes right. for the traditional ones. Because the trick is that you have to find something that's going to uh, facilitate this rapid burning. If you don't have that, then obviously you can't do the fireworks, at least not the way we're accustomed to. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, you know, hope that that kind of stuff gets further distributed throughout the entire industry so that we have a less, uh, you know, negative impact on the environment and potentially on, on the viewers of fireworks displays or just the people who happen to live around those areas. Oh, yeah. Uh, this this also goes into, I mean, the Department of Defense wasn't involved in that because of the fireworks displays necessarily so much as, as this is useful also for anything else that you're using gunpowder for, which right. for the Department of Defense is many things. And, you know, trying to protect the lives of our munitions workers and also our, our soldiers and troops and everyone else. Absolutely. I interrupt this episode of Tech Stuff to let you know there's going to be some messages followed by some more tech stuff. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. 
Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, how is it made? Don't try this at home. Yes, do not. This is one of those things that if you are, if you're part of a lab and the lab has the facilities to do it and you can make it in small amounts, it's a very interesting process. But this is not something for you to ever try on your own because if you got the mixture either just right or just wrong, bad things can happen. Yes. But generally speaking, here's what the process is. And I'm not, again, going to explain the specific amounts. First, you would have to reduce each ingredient to fine grains of powder, and you would want to do this separately. Yes. Right? You, this, you don't mix them together first. So you get your charcoal and you mash it up. So you got charcoal powder. You get your sulfur. You make sure you, you pound out any, any clumps so that you just get a fine powder. Same thing with your saltpeter. You want to make sure all of that stuff is as fine as you possibly can make it. Then you mix those ingredients together with a little water or some other liquid. For example, and I'm not making this up, one of the, liquids I saw was stale urine. Stale urine. Stale urine. Specifically stale. Yes. I am not joking because it allows for a more consistent burn. All right. I, um, yeah. All right. So anyway, you mix it in with this liquid to help these different ingredients bind together. Usually you have some sort of binding agent, mm-hmm. what some, something that's going to help them stick together in the right, in the right amounts. Saltpeter, as it turns out, is really soluble and it'll fill in all those nice little spaces in charcoal pretty easily. Charcoal has a lot of surface area, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a good mix. Then you let the mixture dry. It becomes kind of like a cake-like mass. It, it solidifies. Like a, like a hard biscuit. Yeah. Then Less have, like a red velvet cake. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's much more dense. <laughs> also, much more likely to explode than your traditional red velvet. Uh, Fingers crossed. Yes. You then crush this dry ma- mass with something that will totally not cause sparks. Please. Yeah. You don't use any, nothing that's going to 
potentially create a spark. So usually it's ceramic or non-sparking metals or something along those lines. Stone, just regular stone, not like flint steel, because that'd be a <laughs> terrible idea to turn it into a powder. Um, this is one of the reasons why it's challenging to make this stuff in huge amounts, uh, particularly for someone who doesn't have like a powder mill at their disposal. They, the, the accounts I read were, especially for people who are like, uh, 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 military recreationists, people, people who create, uh, they recreate like the, the famous battles and sure. they want to have black powder muskets. They're not firing musket balls, but they want to be able to have that big loud bang, bang and smoke. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about making us say eh, it's a little hard if you want to make more than say 10 pounds of the stuff at a time. And like, you know, keeping in mind that 10 pounds of gunpowder, especially if it's in a compact, container could be incredibly dangerous. I just had a very mild panic attack thinking about any of the people that I personally know who dress up in costumes and run around the woods firing fake guns at each other, having 10 pounds of gunpowder at their disposal. Yeah, it's uh, it certainly is one of those things where you do need to know the best practices to safely handle this stuff because it really is incredibly dangerous. But uh, at that point, in this process, you're done. You've got your gunpowder. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you do want to make large quantities, uh, how did those powder mills work that you were mentioning earlier? So, yeah, usually you would have uh, some sort of, of bowl-like uh, surface, and then you'd have a grinding wheel that would be powered either by horsepower, manpower, or water wheel, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a mill, you know, the kind of mill that you would see for any other sort of thing, grinding grain, for example. And what you would do is you would you would mix all these ingredients together and then you would put that in the mill for it to grind up into the the proper um, fine powder that you would need to use as black powder. Again, you would have to make sure that all the equipment you had was not likely to cause a spark. Uh, right. Wood or stone or something very uh... non spark making. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right. it's hard. Non spark worthy. It's kind of hard to, to put it into words properly. It is uh, incombustible. Yes, that's good. One other interesting feature that a lot of these powder mills had was that at least one wall, sometimes more than one, was specifically built weaker than the other walls. The other walls would support more of the the structure's weight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that if everything in the factory exploded, it would be easier for people to get out. Well, or easier for firefighters to get in. Uh, yeah, because I mean, if you are caught inside that building when there's an explosion, there's probably parts of you got out. Um, yeah, it's, it, it was meant so that it could open up a, an easy pathway for any, uh, reactionary measures, measures, right. Whether that's putting out fires or, you know, dealing with the aftermath. I mean, you you didn't necessarily have people inside these things all the time while they were grinding away anyway, but it was meant as this way. Like, let's say if you have it as a water wheel, you know, it means you're near a source of water, running water. You might have the wall that is closest to the running water uh, blow out. So that way, if there is a fire, you can you've got the water right there. Right there so you yeah. can start a, a, a bucket brigade type thing. No, I, that's a, I, I kind of had a facepalm moment thinking about that one. But now that you mention it, really, that's I sort of want all of my buildings to be structurally weaker on one side. I mean, so if, if nothing else, escape. that I could just Kool-Aid yeah. man right out of any situation. <laughs> that I would be to. fair. Yeah. There are so many times where I, I just think that I need to have the Jonathan shaped dust <laughs> cloud uh, and then uh, the wall like the, the the jonathan shaped hole in the wall where I, i've made my escape uh, uh, so these days we don't have so many water wheels kicking around no. in large factory facilities we do have some machine versions that will do the crushing but again it's really tricky because you have to make sure that that machinery is not going to have any kind of sparking 
element to it. Oh, yeah. So in other words, the motors can't be sparking, not just the rollers or whatever. So you have to make sure that the uh, the materials you're using, the the surface and the rollers that are doing the crushing are not going to create any sparks. And furthermore, that they're going to be cool enough to not risk heating. Igniting and it. Igniting yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's one of those things that really took a lot of of effort to get it right so that it could be created safely or at least as safely as possible. Accidents still happen. I mean, you've probably heard of accidents whether they were in facilities that were processing black powder or a fireworks warehouse, these things do happen. So it, it really drives home the fact that you've got to treat it with respect. Oh, right? sure, sure. Uh, okay, so once you've got your black powder, how do you assemble the fireworks themselves? Okay, so basically, and we'll talk more about this in, in a, 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 our part two about fireworks, but mm-hmm. basically what you need to do is do it by hand. Because <laughs> automated <laughs> versions, again, tend to... It have equipment that could create a spark. And so you've, you, most fireworks are, cre- are handmade, hand packed. So if you, if you were to, uh, take a, uh, typical firework, like a big one, one that's used in a professional display, uh, these things tend to weigh several pounds. They can be in lots of different shapes. It all depends upon the effect you want. We'll talk about that in the next episode too. But if you were to cut it in half, you would see that you would have a core of this black powder, whether it was made with potassium nitrate or potassium chlorate or some other oxidizer involved. Mm -hmm. But the black powder would be at the core, and you'd have these other little elements inside the firework that are meant to be projected outward after the the core explodes. Oh, right, probably suspended in clay or something stable like that, right? Right. And then you would also have another, at the the base of your projectile, uh, if you have, in fact, a two-stage firework, we'll talk about the different uh, options in the next episode. But in the base of your firework, you would also have a lift charge, which would be uh, ignited uh, another, first. Right, right. Another little gunpowder puck. Yeah. So you would have that at the base of it, and that's what would provide it the energy to lift out of the mortar, the basically the tube you have, to fire it off into the sky. So it's, it's really a two-chamber, at least a minimum of two-chamber approaches if you're using the traditional method of launching. Although uh, the mouse house has come up with a totally different way of launching fireworks that doesn't require that separate uh, blast chamber, the lift chamber. And that was part one of our two-part episodes on fireworks. We will have part two tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, you can let me know on, on Twitter. The handle that we use is TechStuffHSW. Or you can download the iHeartRadio app, which is free to use. You can navigate over to the Tech Stuff podcast page and use a little microphone icon to leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know what you would like to cover. And again, we'll have part two tomorrow, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. 
Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.